coming to you from the Motor City. News and stories about the coronavirus outbreak are inescapable. Should we worry? What should we do? On this episode of Detroit's Daily Docket, we will talk about the coronavirus, what it is, what has happened so far, and what we can do right now. Stay tuned. Welcome to this special episode of Detroit's Daily Docket. You can call this episode 2.5. Uh, Dr. Lavity and I are going to be spending a few minutes with you talking about the outbreak that is on everyone's minds, and that's the coronavirus or COVID-19. An important thing to take note of is that we are recording this episode on Wednesday, March 4th, 2020, and things are changing so rapidly that by the time you hear this episode, it is entirely possible that the numbers and the data may have changed. It cannot be overemphasized that scientists, doctors, politicians, and everyone in between are working to understand this new virus and this new disease. In order to get a good understanding of what coronavirus is and how it may affect our world and day-to-day lives, we should first talk about a few of the other diseases to help place this one into some context. To begin, we will start on a very basic level and cover the name itself, coronavirus. Viruses come in all different shapes and sizes. Most are so incredibly small that it requires the use of a special microscope, an electron microscope, to see them. They can be filaments like Ebola, spherical like hepatitis B, and there are those that can even look something akin to a NASA lunar lander. Specifically, coronaviruses are a group of viruses that have a halo or crown-like appearance. Corona is the word that is used for something that resembles a crown. These viruses are a common cause of mild to moderate upper respiratory illnesses like colds and flus in humans, and it can cause various diseases in animals. Coronaviruses have been occasionally linked to pneumonia, which is an infection of the lungs and a serious complication of colds and flus. This is especially true for the young, the old, and people with weakened immune systems. Just in the past 20 years, humans have seen many coronavirus outbreaks. The first most notable case was SARS, or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Between November 2002 and July 2003, a total of 8,098 people worldwide became sick with Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS. Of those, 774 died, making a fatality rate of approximately 9.6%. No cases of SARS have been reported since 2004. But the virus is still around. In 2017, scientists identified the virus in civets, which are like wildcats, and horseshoe bats in the Yunnan province. In this discussion of SARS and viruses, there are two important concepts to cover. The first concept has to deal with naming. Viruses have a name, and the disease that they cause have different names. Sometimes the two names are pretty similar, but frequently it isn't. This may sound strange, but I guarantee it's not a foreign concept, and I'll give you two notable examples. The first is HIV, which stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus, and it's HIV that causes AIDS, or Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. The second example is the common measles, and that is caused by the rubiola virus. So the concept, once again, is that the virus has a name and the disease it causes has another one. In the case of the disease SARS, the virus that causes it is called 
SARS-CoV, CoV being short for coronavirus. The second concept deals with how much a disease spreads, and this is known as the reproduction number, or R0. The R0 represents the number of other people one sick person will infect. With SARS, every one person that is sick infects three and a half other people. There are many factors that influence the R0, such as how susceptible is the population that the infected person enters into. To put SARS in perspective, the R0 for seasonal influenza, which we'll talk about later, is two to three. Polio is around five to seven, and measles is between 12 and 18. Moving back to viral outbreaks, the next major outbreak was MERS, or the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which was caused by MERS-CoV. This was a new or novel coronavirus that was first reported in 2012 in Saudi Arabia. As of July 2015, MERS cases were reported in 21 countries, and MERS was identified as a high-risk virus for a future epidemic. As of November 2019, there have been 2,494 confirmed cases, 858 associated deaths, and it occurred in 27 different countries. It had a fatality rate of approximately 34%. That means that one out of three people that were infected died. That's remarkable and absolutely frightening. In terms of contagiousness, the virus was thankfully not very contagious. Its R0 was less than one. Or for every person with MERS-CoV, less than one additional person became infected. So the disease was contained. The next viral outbreak that we will discuss is actually not one that's caused by coronavirus infection, but it is one that is very important nonetheless, and that's influenza. Influenza, or the seasonal flu, is a contagious respiratory illness that is caused by influenza viruses. When you hear about influenza viruses, it can definitely be very confusing. To try to simplify things, there are four types of influenza viruses, A, B, C, and D. Of these four, only types A and B are the ones that cause the seasonal flu epidemics that we're familiar with. Now, here's the confusing part. If we focus on influenza type A, there can be many different subdivisions or subtypes. Take this example. Think of a fish as a broad category. Fish type A could be trout, type B is salmon, type C are sunfish, and type D are carp. The subdivisions of type A trout can be brook trout, rainbow trout, and lake trout, etc., etc., etc. They are all different types of trout or type A fish. The subdivisions of influenza A are no different, and the way that they are classified is by the proteins the virus has on its outer surface. The two proteins that are used are hemagglutinin and neuraminidase. Hemagglutinin is the H, and neuraminidase is the N that you've heard about. So the swine flu of 2009 was H1N1, and one of the most common types of avian or bird flu was H5N1. Regardless of the type, the virus is routinely spread person to person. When a person has the flu, symptoms can range from being mild to severe, and it can and commonly does result in deaths of some of those who become infected. Older people, young children, and people with certain health conditions are at high risk for more serious flu complications. 
As for its ability to infect others, its R-naught is around two and a half, or for every one person that is positive for influenza, two and a half other people get infected. To put some figures to it, the CDC estimates that from October 1st, 2019 through February 22nd, 2020, there were 32 to 45 million cases of flu, which resulted in 310,000 to 560,000 hospitalizations and anywhere from 18,000 to 46,000 deaths. In the 2018-2019 flu season in Michigan, more than 1,300 people died of the flu, and according to federal estimates by the CDC, there were more than 17,000 deaths from the flu in the two previous flu seasons. Also, according to the CDC, most children who have died of the flu were not vaccinated. Currently, children six months of age or older should receive annual influenza vaccinations. In 2018, of the 63 confirmed child deaths of the flu, 54 of them were old enough to get vaccinated, but yet only 14 or 26 percent did. A 2018 study by the CDC showed that from 2012 to 2015, flu vaccinations among adults reduced the risk of being admitted to the ICU with the flu by 82 percent. So long story short, get your flu vaccines. There is absolutely no reason not to, and children should not be dying from the flu. So this brings us to COVID-19. COVID-19 is the disease name. CO, or CO, stands for corona. VI is for virus. D is for disease. And 19 is for 2019. The virus that causes COVID-19 is named SARS-CoV-2, or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. This virus was first detected in China, but as of March 3, 2020, it has now spread to 76 international locations, including the U.S. The virus, SARS-CoV-2, is a beta coronavirus. Just like there are different types of influenza virus, there are alpha, beta, gamma, and delta coronaviruses. Other beta coronaviruses include MERS-CoV and SARS-CoV. All three of these viruses have their origins in bats, and based on the most recent genetic testing, it seems that this outbreak started as a single recent emergence from an animal reservoir. Initially, many individuals at the epicenter of the outbreak in Wuhan, Hubei Province, China, had some link to a large seafood and live animal market, which indicated animal-to-person transmission. However, Later, a growing number of people reported that they had no exposure to animal markets, indicating person-to-person spread of the virus. Person-to-person spread has been subsequently reported outside Hubei and in countries outside China, including the United States. Some international destinations now have apparent community spread, meaning some people are sick who are not sure of how or where they became infected. The little information that we have indicates the mortality rate of COVID-19 is much lower than SARS or MERS, and it may be as contagious as the typical seasonal flu. So every sick person can infect two and a half to three additional people. And as of now, which is still early, the mortality rate is somewhere between two and two and a half percent, meaning that for every 1,000 people infected, statistically up to 25 will die. The statistics so far indicate that those over the age of 60 and those with cardiovascular disease, 
diabetes, chronic respiratory disease are the most at risk. Among those that are critically ill, the death rate has been estimated to be 49 to 81%. A positive note is that 81% of the cases studied, which are 72,000 cases thus far, resulted only in mild disease. 14 were severe and 5 were critical. The role of the medical examiner in these cases is also essential. Now, we don't typically perform autopsies on adults that have well-documented flu-related illnesses. However, when a child dies of a flu-related illness or an otherwise healthy adult dies from a flu-related illness unexpectedly, it is very important that a post-mortem examination be conducted as a measure of public health and safety. Here at the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office, we perform a handful of autopsies every year for flu-related deaths. Most of these are, unfortunately, children. For these cases, we perform a full autopsy with microscopic examination of tissues, especially the lungs. We perform swabs of the upper and lower airways and submit those for testing to identify the viruses responsible. In addition, we work with the local Health and Human Services offices and the CDC to make tissues available for additional testing and epidemiology. All of this work is vital to understanding how viruses cause death and how to prevent further morbidity, which means your general health and well-being, and mortality, or risk of death, with development of vaccines and better preventative measures. Now, the next few minutes are aimed directly to our forensic pathologist, medical examiner, and coroner listeners. The CDC does provide guidance in determining if a person under investigation for COVID-19 requires an autopsy. If an autopsy is performed, the practices and procedures are similar to investigations you would normally take for other suspected respiratory illnesses. You will want to obtain nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal swabs and swabs from each lung. You should also submit additional formal and fixed tissues from the lungs and the upper airway. When examining the lungs under the microscope, the expected lung findings are diffuse alveolar damage, fibromyxoid exudates, and hyaline membrane formation. Look for lymphocytic infiltrates and virocytopathic effects that show prominent nucleoli. After hearing all that, you're probably wondering, what can you do? It happens that many of the recommendations to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the community are the ones that you should take for any respiratory illness. Handwashing is one of the easiest and best things you can do. You should wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, especially after using the bathroom, before eating, and after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing. That's not just getting your hands wet, but actually scrubbing both sides between the fingers and cleaning the nails. If you don't have access to hand washing, then you should use a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. For the proper use of these hand sanitizers, you should liberally apply the solution to your hands and rub them till they're dry. Hand sanitizers are not effective if your hands are soiled, such as having dirt and grease on them. Also, you should avoid close contact with people who are sick. And if you are sick, stay home and contact your personal doctor for recommendations. If you have children and their school is temporarily dismissed, you'll want to be familiar with your school's policies and see if online learning options are available. Undoubtedly, you've heard much talk about masks and N95 respirators and who should and shouldn't be wearing them. For this discussion, there are two types of masks, face masks and respirators. They are not the same. 
Face masks are loose-fitting on the face and, in a healthcare setting, function as barrier protection against droplets such as large respiratory particles and saliva. Most face masks do not effectively filter the smaller particles, and there is leakage of air from the side of the mask. On the other hand, medical respirators create a tight seal on the face of the wearer. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH, has ratings for the ability of a respirator to collect or filter aerosols. The N95 respirator you keep hearing about stops at least 95% of the airborne particles that are 0.3 microns or larger. The respirator settings are 95, 99, and 100. The N indicates that it is not oil resistant. Some respirators are designated R for oil resistant and P for oil proof. There are differences between surgical respirators and industrial ones, but that is beyond the scope of this discussion. Currently, there is no recommendation for anyone to wear a mask to protect themselves from coronavirus unless you are exhibiting symptoms yourself or are taking care of someone who is sick. For example, in a situation where there is a sick person who has been instructed to go to a medical facility for testing, it is the person that is sick who should wear the face mask to prevent the spread of the disease to everyone else. The CDC does recommend that N95 respirator use be restricted to healthcare professionals who are working with the ill and need protection from both airborne and fluid splashes and sprays. It isn't for those outside of the healthcare setting. Once again, the CDC does not recommend the routine use of masks or respirators in the community in people who are not sick. And if you are wearing a mask or respirator, avoid touching it while it's in use. Wash your hands if you do, replace ones that have become wet or soiled, and take them off properly. After all that, wash your hands again. As a collective, we need to take steps to prevent ourselves from getting the virus, but even more important is to have people who are infected engaged in measures to prevent the spread of the virus to others. Monitor yourself for illness and fever. If you do have mild symptoms, don't immediately go to the hospital. Self-quarantine at home and contact your doctor with concerns. If you have a severe cough or shortness of breath, once again, call your doctor to get instructions before going to the hospital. We'd like to thank all of you for listening and hope this provides some clarity and guidance. Understandably, this is a very anxious time for all of us. The best thing to do is remain calm. Don't jump to unfounded conclusions and move forward using reasonable and thoughtful actions. Healthcare professionals are here to help and treat those of you that are ill, but they're people too. Hospitals and all of their staff need the help of the public to not become overburdened and overcapacity. Dr. Lavity and I, thank you again. 